how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Colin and Samir Show. On today's episode, we're gonna be answering your questions in our segment, Creator Support, which I feel like needs its own jingle now. Oh, wow. Like kind of like a... Hello, this is Colin, Creator Support. Hey, this is Samir. Welcome to Creator Support. There it was. That did was you it. like my Samir impression? Yeah, yeah I did yeah. like that. It's a yeah. little deeper than mine. A little bit deeper. Yeah, 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 that was good. You're welcome. That was good. Okay. All right, what are we talking about today? First off, we're going to be reacting to the fact that we crossed a million subscribers. Next, we're going to be talking about Dream's face reveal. We're also going to be discussing, does it matter where you live mm-hmm. when you're trying to build a creative career? And then we're also going to answer a question from our friend John Hill about whether you should start a new channel if you've decided that you want to talk about something new. All right. If you are a music creator, feel free to send us a jingle with creator support. And if you need some assets, let us know. We'll record something for you. All right, let's get into the show. All right, man, this is the first time uh, on the mics with our completely new life. I feel like an entirely new man. Completely new. I drive a new car now. You do drive a new car now. I bought a much bigger home. Did you? tons of plastic surgery. Is that in and your I've future? I've changed my name to Fred. <laughs> yeah, this is a million subscriber, Samir. Nice to meet me. Um, <laughs> okay, anyhow, we crossed a million subscribers. We've been talking about it for a really long time. And one of the coolest things, if you haven't yet watched the video we made about it, is that we got to experience that moment while on stage doing a live version of creator support. This is happening now. Come on, that's that was like, in retrospect, that's like the coolest possible way that that could have happened. I mean, I will never forget a thousand people who for the most part were subscribers of our channel, cheering yeah. and screaming and taking videos and photos of us. That was crazy. Incredibly overwhelming, really exciting, and just, I don't know, I will never forget that moment. After I've had time to reflect on it has hit me, is this concept of value over views providing value to people through the content is so much more important than subscribers and and views and these kind of, at times, sometimes like arbitrary numbers, right? Like even what YouTube counts as a view is, you know, 30 seconds of, of watch time. So like you actually can't quantify that the impact you're having on others or the impact you're having on your audience through viewership you can maybe see it through comments. You can maybe see it through engagement. But when you can really see it is when you're standing in a room of a thousand people. It, it, the energy of that room was crazy. And the fact that those, you know, there was people there who we found out there was like a Colin and Tamir discord that people were a part of. One more thing. Since you guys basically have a million now, I would like to form. You don't have a million yet. Uh, not yet. In like five minutes, not though. Yet. I'd like to formally invite you to the Colin and Samir Discord. Oh, hell yeah, man. It means a lot. 
and that they had met people there and, and, you know, for the first time met at Vid Summit. And that to me was so powerful that we had made an impact on people. Yeah. It makes it a lot more comfortable. There's no title and thumbnail. Everyone's already in the door, right? Everyone's already yeah. there for the most part. They know who we are. They've watched our stuff. They know what to expect. And so it makes it a lot easier to be on stage, right? Like you yeah. really the, the, can feel like your truest, most authentic self because you're not trying to win anyone over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, that I've been kind of peeking around YouTube. Um, Where have you been? All over. Okay. I've been all over the algorithm, right. but I've been peeking around YouTube to just look across viewership of channels. And I've been just thinking a lot about the kind of, you know, disappointment that I feel at times of getting under a hundred thousand views and the comparison that, you know, naturally happens in your head, looking at other channels and other people's viewerships. And I'm so glad that we got to experience this, this unimaginable number. A million people is an unimaginable number to me. I can't imagine a million people um, in a room of a thousand people because it really helped me contextualize like 60, 70,000 people watching 30 minutes of one of our episodes is insane. That's insane. That is so many people sitting. And if we impact them or provide some value education or a perspective change for someone, that to me is like the future of our career is just really sitting in this room and thinking about, are we providing value to these people? Um, and we talked about it in our last interview, which is um, coming out next week with Hassan Minaj, but we talked about building depth rather than width. And that's something that I really want to, over the next year, when I look at 2023 and the, you know, how we're building, it's like everything I want to build has to do with depth. And like the people who are listening right now, all of you, the people who are in our subreddit, the people who showed up to VidSummit, um, I want to find more ways to kind of build spaces for this community to have depth with us and depth with each other, because that to me is where the, where the impact lies. So I thought about it. Do I have another goal subscriber goal after a million? I honestly don't think I do. No, I, I don't either. I I'm, don't. I'm happy with where it's at. I truly yeah. am not concerned about subscribers. I'm just concerned about making sure we're providing more value and that it stays fun. Yeah, that's it. Totally. You know, even how we think about structuring the business moving forward will likely be around depth, not width. And what I mean by that is like the, the game of like, you know, building, um, you know, an, an, an advertising backed business has to do with width um, at times. But I think the right sponsors, like having the right, really relevant sponsors to your creator business, that actually has to do with depth. What's an episode of ours that is an example of width? Like us going for width over depth. I don't know. I don't know if I could pick one out right now. Because every time I think of one, I'm like, well, I, mean, I think we went both, pretty, right? di- I think we, we work really hard on our, we, it's pretty rare that we put out, oh, here's what I'll say. Some of our shorts, some of our shorts are built for width. They're built to reach the most amount of people possible. They're not necessarily built to change your perspective or transform you, but we do work pretty hard on making sure that we don't put anything out that doesn't have some level of education or, you know, transformation attached to it. So I think we work like unreasonably hard at that. And that's what, what makes us us. But yeah, I'm not sure I could name an, an episode where I feel like we put it out just to generate viewers. 
Yeah, I think it's a mix of both, right? Our video called The Dark Side of the Demilios. Sure. With them crying on the thumbnail. You look at it, that's an attempt to gain some width and, and get to a broader audience. But if we got you in the door with that approach, then the hope is you stay for the information, the education, and, and then that is where you sort of build that depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, cool. Those, those are thoughts on, on, on this kind of like milestone that we all want to hit of, of a million and that like something that I wanted for ages and ages. And I'm so glad in the way it happened and even just reflecting on it now and recognizing like, all right, that feels like a weight off our shoulders, you know, and now it's time to look at community. How are we building this community with all of you? And that takes us to this show and our first post from our subreddit, which by the way, we need to really focus on this Colin. We've been calling it the Reddit. It is not the Reddit. It is the subreddit. Yeah, but it feels kind of more badass to call it the Reddit. It's the subreddit. I'm going to just. Or is, is that? Am I, I will off now. And that's as if I'm saying like it's the Facebook. It's actually okay. In the King's Jester, which is Hassan Minaj's new comedy special, he talks about how at Starbucks they call it chai tea, and it's so funny because my me and my parents have always had this conversation. That means tea tea. Yeah. Like chai means tea in Hindi, and you're calling it chai tea, so you're just saying tea tea. But I'm so not calling saying it the, the Reddit Reddit. No, but that's basically what you're saying. It's like, obviously it's on Reddit, but it's a subreddit. So the first post comes from Ginny Things. Dream marketing, his face reveal. I'm just curious about what everyone thinks about his strategy of showing his face to various YouTube and Twitch personalities to build hype for his face reveal. I think the extreme reactions could backfire quickly if he doesn't live up to the expectations people have about his face. And I find it quite weird that it is happening mostly on Twitter when his main audience is on YouTube, but I guess the DSM clip channels are already spreading those videos on YouTube, meaning Dream SMP okay. clip channels. Let's, let's provide some context. Yeah, if you don't know who Dream is, he is a wildly successful Minecraft gamer and streamer who has over 30 million subscribers on YouTube and has amassed over 2 billion views. But he has never actually shown his face. His face has always been represented as just pretty much this smiley face, like a white circle mm -hmm. with black lines. And very recently, he just revealed... Who he is, his actual name is Clay. Hi, my name is Clay, otherwise known as Dream Online. Um, may have heard of me, may have not. Maybe you clicked on this video just out of pure curiosity and you don't care who I am. But now you've seen my face. He looks a lot like a friend Jack of mine from high school. Just looks Suspicious, like, yeah. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. And to hype this face reveal, he had tons of different creators uh, FaceTiming him, video chatting him, but you only see their reactions to his face. You don't actually see his face. So I'm going to say this. Anyone who's able to build an audience of 30 million people on the internet come up with the dream SMP and like that whole world and universe and build the type of fandom he's built is incredibly sharp at understanding how internet audiences react to things. For me, as a fan of this world, as a member of the creator economy, as someone who's been very curious about Dream, I thought the marketing and how it was done on Twitter was exceptional. I mean, he was trending every day leading exceptional. up to it. And it was, the thing that he did so well was he spanned across creators, like MKBHD was in it. MKBHD was one of the people he FaceTimed. I felt left out. I felt incredibly left I thought out. about, should we just recreate it as if- Oh, that's funny. We were on a video call that's with a, him? That's a funny idea. Should have done it. That's a, that's a good idea. Like, yeah, we're cool with Dream. Yeah. We know him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
That's hilarious. He called us too. Well, I asked you to send me a picture of you from college because I thought some of the the like teasers that were coming out looked kind of like that. Yeah, um, his long sort of Bieber yeah, haircut. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it didn't didn't pan out. But um, yeah, I think for me, every single day, I was reminded about this face reveal. So I think he did a really good job of marketing this. And for me, Twitter, like I know this, this is the second part of this question is like, why did he do Twitter when YouTube is his channel? I think Twitter is a really unique place. Like YouTube videos hold a lot of weight yeah. to upload. They're like library videos. They sit there. They're like, it's kind of like this weird environment. And also if, if someone likes or engages with the YouTube video, it doesn't go out to their audience. So Marquez Brownlee, you know, with the dream face reveal, he's reacting to the FaceTime. Casey Neistat likes that. And now that goes out to everyone that Casey Neistat follows. So the actual social impact of posting the videos on Twitter is much larger in my opinion. Yeah, we actually had a lot of success or more success on Twitter early on in our career than we did on YouTube for that reason, because we had uh, a network on Twitter mm -hmm. and there's that network effect. Like you said, we would put out a video, some of our creator friends who had larger followings would like it, they would retweet it and it would just amplify it and it would travel throughout the internet. On YouTube, if we got a comment on one of our videos with 5,000 views from Marquez or from the guys at Yes Theory, that doesn't do anything for no. us. It doesn't share our video with their audience. So Twitter's a unique place where that network effect comes into play and your video can just really travel. You know where else that happens? The Reddit. LinkedIn. Ah. LinkedIn ah. is is that same. I should have known. You should have known. I should have known. known you're about to come the, in with the, the LinkedIn. It's the same type of platform where if I post something, the thing that's so interesting is it remains evergreen because if anyone with you know a network interacts with it two weeks later, it basically goes out to their network. Oh, so I like, see your old posts. Yeah, you see my old posts. So yep. I'm recognizing that uh, LinkedIn is kind of this space for a library of written content because it, like my content is continuing to gain impressions. And am I crossing over 100,000 impressions a week right now, Colin? Oh my gosh. Yes, yes I am. Oh, make it stop. Yes, yes I am, Colin. Just as an FYI. I haven't talked about my LinkedIn in a while because there was some you know reactions to people saying it was a lot of LinkedIn for me. But I'm back. I'm back, baby. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, Dream with the marketing for his face reveal. I think he did a great job. Twitter was the right place. I don't think creators would want to give up that type of real estate on YouTube. No. Also, I got a text from my sister-in-law saying, I need you to, that night when, when Dream revealed his face, uh, saying, I need you to explain to me this Dream thing, what is happening. And it is probably extremely confusing. Like that took over Twitter, that also on YouTube, Dream's face reveal was watched by over 1.5 million people live. And then when he uploaded the clip of him revealing his face was watched by over 25 million people in the first day. The amount of people that care about Dream is astronomical for someone who hadn't shown their face, you know, like that's incredible. So it's definitely something I want to like dive into more. We've, we've explored the dream SMP. We've talked to Carl Jacobs, talked to Tommy in it, yep. but like really diving into the story of dream is something that I think is a must for our channel to, for you and I to better understand. And also for, I think us to be able to provide that story to the landscape. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And if you're just wondering why did he do this now? He says in the video that he just wanted to be able to meet his friends in real life. It's because George, he's my best friend. 
He's been in the UK trying to get a visa to come to America to come move here and move in with me in Sapnap. And I'm going to meet him for the first time. He's uploading a video on his channel where he, he meets me for the first time. My goal was to just start doing things, get out, meet creators, say hi to my friends finally, get out in the world, be an actual creator, be a person. Which is crazy to think he was that secluded yeah. and alone throughout this entire I, experience. I watched uh, one of his friends, George Not Found. I watched his vlog of meeting Dream. They've been friends for seven years and they've never met in real life. I watched his vlog of, of meeting him and uh, going to his house and he's moving in with him now. And it was this really important reminder that we've talked about a lot, which is what you're doing on the internet is really lonely if you just keep it on the internet. And that, that's an experience we got to have where we got to be in a room of a thousand, you know, subscribers and creators who are reacting to us crossing a million and like we're in a community of people. That to me is more impactful than sitting at, at home and watching a video of ours hit a million views. Like those two things are not equivalent. Being in, in real life and having those experiences, that's what brings a lot of joy and, and excitement. And you look at this vlog with George Not Found going over to Dream's house and living with him, you're like, oh, they're friends. It's really great to hang out together. And that was, that was hindered because he was building this digital brand where you couldn't see his face. Yeah, and he gives up that anonymity. He gives up that level of mystique and curiosity that I think has allowed him to gain such a rabid audience, mm -hmm. right? His videos are also, actually, you know, I don't know that much about his videos. I think I need to learn about his videos, but clearly he's doing something right. Mm -hmm. But he does, he gives up that anonymity, the mystique, and then he gains uh, something from a lifestyle perspective, so. The one thing that I think is important to note is how many people play Minecraft. Yeah. That still every day, like, startles me when I come across a new Minecraft creator where I'm like, wait a second, how are there this many different versions of a Minecraft creator? And how are they all attracting tens of millions of viewers? Yeah. That still to me is like mind boggling and something that we should probably all recognize that the, the crop of kids that are younger than us are living in this world where they can like build anything with Minecraft. And that's like how they're understanding the world. That's going to impact the way our world looks when we're older, you know? Yeah. All the buildings are going to be like blocky. Blocks. Yeah. Exactly. They're all going to be blocks. All right, this is an email we got about our last audio episode with Ryan Holiday. Hey guys, love the pod. Ryan talked about how you don't necessarily need NYC, LA, or to be around other speakers, creators to do great work. In fact, it may be more lucrative to live somewhere cheaper so that you can invest more in your art than NYC rent. That makes sense to me if you're doing art that doesn't require a live audience. I do stand-up comedy. I feel I have no choice but to be in NYC because I need all the stage time I can get to work through my jokes. That being said, the thought of not comparing myself to other comics any longer, needing to keep a day job or pay NYC rent sounds enticing. Do you think some creators, due to the art they actually need to make, do need to stay in certain markets to do great work or is there potentially a strategy I might be missing? Thanks for taking the time to even read this far. Nathan. This hmm. is a really good question. Because we should provide some context as what Ryan Holiday said on, on the pod and kind of his perspective on creating work. Yeah, I think traditionally it's been our view and a lot of creators' view, especially when we spoke to Mr. Beast, that you know if you want to expedite your growth, you should be around other people who do the same thing that you do so that you can learn from each other. What Ryan Holiday said was that he actually thinks that you shouldn't 
that you should remove yourself, mm-hmm. which he has done and moved to you know outside of Austin, Texas, and has intentionally put himself uh, away from other writers and people in his field so that he can be original and not be influenced by what's going on. I think there's two parts to this. Number one, like even when you bring up Jimmy, like Jimmy hasn't left Greenville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. He's not leaving Greenville, North Carolina. Like he's not coming to a place with a lot of creators. He's actually moved a lot of creators to him. But I think like there's there's a couple parts of this. One is like on the concept of rent and like keeping your expenses really low so you can focus on your art. Like I can't imagine living in New York City and trying to do something creative where you have to pay extremely high rent. Like I've heard that a studio apartment in New York City is pushing $4,000. That's crazy. That's a lot of pressure to figure out how to make money and explore your art. I'm pretty sure here in Santa Monica, the average price for a one bedroom is $5,500. It's either $4,500 or $5,500, somewhere around there. Average? Yeah, it was deemed like one of the most expensive crazy. places to live in the country, or the most. For a one bedroom? Yeah. Wow, amazing. So yeah, I'm, I yeah. mean, I think that as a consideration, right? It's like tying a bunch of expenses to you trying to develop an artistic voice or stand-up comedy, that sounds insane to me. That sounds like extremely challenging. There's no choice but to have another job, which then takes away from you exploring your art. And then the other side of it is the comparison. You know, there's, there's obviously a very famous quote that comparison is the thief of joy. Being around others and, you know, another comedian being like, I just booked Conan. And you're sitting there and you're like, I'm doing seven minute sets in backyards. That is a reality you have to deal with in some of these markets. And if that's not something you want to deal with, then yes, you know, you can move yourself to a smaller market uh, or to be away from everyone. When it comes to writing books and when it comes to making YouTube videos, I think both of those things can happen in spaces where you don't need to be around other people and you can put them out and get feedback online. You can get feedback from your audience, no matter where you are in the world. Stand-up comedy, I think is different. You know, though, it makes me think about the fact that we grew the lacrosse network in Southern California. Yeah. And the actual majority of the lacrosse community is in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. And I think it made us unique. And it was to our advantage that we didn't have that much of a community that we sort of had to build our own vision for what it meant to be the lacrosse network. Yeah. And we weren't influenced by the traditional lacrosse world on the East coast. Yeah. I mean, let me just say this. I think we'd be more successful YouTube creators in a more isolated place. I think that's like a fact in my head. Do I think we would be as successful of entrepreneurs or as successful of a brand? I don't know the answer to that. I think that requires us to be, you know, part of the world, but I think from a, from our show perspective, it would be a more successful, we'd find more success with the show. I think if we were in a more isolated place where there wasn't anything else going on. But when it comes to interviewing guests, yeah, I that's think hard. If we were in the middle of the country over the past year, if we weren't in New York or LA, we're not getting Lily Singh. We're not yep. getting Andrew Schultz, Jeff Wittick, Hassan Minhaj. Like we're not getting some of these people on the show. Yeah. Tommy in it. A lot of these people happen to be in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard, hard balance. I think there's a couple considerations here. One is like price and expenses. You, you as a startup creative want to keep your expenses as low as humanly possible so that you don't have so much weight on your creative. Two is comparison and influence. You do want to develop your own voice and you also want to develop your own meaning of success 
that's a lot easier when you're not so tied up into what others are doing. And then three is like, what does your craft need? Does it need others? Like, again, for us, we, we like, we want to have guests on the show. So we need to be in a market where guests want to come. Or if you're a stand-up comic, you need live audiences. That might be a reality, you know, but maybe you could do it in like Illinois. What about Illinois? I do think though, the, the fourth thing I think you should think about is how important is the unexpected? Like the serendipitous, yeah. the serendipity of the career or the industry that you're in. Again, because if you're in New York and you're a comic, you've just put yourself in a position where the unbelievable could happen. You could have an interaction yeah. with someone that could change your career. Totally. And you may not have those types of opportunities anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Can I share a gripe, but also like an excitement? I don't know how to explain I was going to try and combine gripe and excitement into one word. It's, it's actually just a thought. I just realized I hadn't had a gripe in a while, but okay. um, my thought is my incredible excitement for the world of vlogging to come back to YouTube. That's like an incredible excitement. I love watching vlogs. I think it's, it's like my favorite world of YouTube is just watching someone exist and paint life using their camera and show it to me. Like, I, I think that's like one of the most interesting, it's the thing that attracted me to YouTube. I don't what, think it left. I think the amount of viewership. So th that's my gripe. That it gets. Is that it's not a popular genre on YouTube. Like my gripe is that it's almost like, I feel like right now, my hope is that it kind of comes back, but I also don't want it to be so abundant. I, I just, there's something about the landscape of YouTube where I'm ready to move past the hyper reel back into the reel, you know? Mm. And, and that's probably in my own viewing habits and like, you know, what I'm watching, but I really am ready to, to just, I can settle into a 20 minute video of someone just existing. I think what you're interested in is the mundane, not necessarily the vlog. Because a vlog, sure. in my opinion, is just a tool. It's a format. Yeah, yeah, agree. When the Yes Theory guys, when Thomas travels to a cabin on top of a mm -hmm. mountain, he's actually vlogging, he's vlogging to get you there. Yeah, that's it just true. happens to be this incredible journey that he's capturing. That's a good point. I think what you're interested in is capturing the mundane, connecting yeah. more so with like the emotions of the person, yes. the internal. Yes dialogue. And a lot of that happens in podcasting. You yeah. know, when I listen back to our episode with Ryan Holiday, like there is so much about life in there and the life of being a creative person that I, I absolutely love. Um, and I'm interested in someone like him, like I'm interested in kind of the visual depiction of some of those things that he talks about. Like one of my favorite things he says on there is about saying no he says that no is a complete sentence. And a lot of times we get caught up in how to say no to someone that we end up just saying yes. And then he talks about how as a father and as a family man, like he's committed his time to his wife and kids. And if he responds to that email or hops on that call, that doesn't really need to, he's stealing time from his kids. When he said that, that was like a perspective shifting thing for me. Like, I think about that with my wife where I'm like, do I need to go to this thing? Do I need to hop on a call with this person? Do I need to sit here in my inbox? Because I have to remember I'm trading in time with her and my mm. family to do that. And when he's like, really that to me, like shifts my perspective. And a lot of times Casey Neistat has been that for me, you know, or even just like sitting and, and having these people explore like their thinking and their thoughts in, in video form that stuff like actually changes how I engage with the world. And that's what I love about YouTube. 
Yeah, that was an interesting conversation about stealing time. I often feel like I am carving out time. For sure. Like sometimes the only time that exists is work time mm-hmm. and anything else I'm carving yeah. out of that, which feels overwhelming. Yeah. You know, and I want to try and shift that, that what we do here is not all of time. Yes. <laughs> and I'm carving out for other things. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you think about that and you, you create those, that like pie chart and you think about, you know, like actually the default is to your family, then you start to think about it differently. Like if, if the time that exists is for your family, then you think about work time totally differently. But I agree that we're conditioned to think of work time as the priority. Like that, it, that makes up the pie and then you're carving out other time. Mm-hmm. So that to me, I thought was like perspective shifting. And especially because he's not like a creator who doesn't put out anything. He's written 12 books in 10 years. Like it's not like he's struggling to put out stuff. Yeah. He's put out really impactful work. All right. Our next question comes from Twitter. This is from John Hill, who has a great channel on YouTube about skateboarding. It has over a million subscribers. And he didn't submit this to creator support, but I came across it on Twitter and thought it was a great question. He says, dear creator friends, I built my YouTube channel up to 1 million subscribers making content about one thing, skateboarding. I have zero interest in ever making a skateboarding video ever again. Should I start a new channel or make content about new and interesting topics on the same channel? I've been thinking about covering the behind the scenes of animation, Disney, anime, big stories. The million subscriber channel is a good way to pitch working with people, but I'm scared it just simply won't work on a channel about skateboarding. That's an interesting dilemma. He's built a channel up to a million subscribers about skateboarding. Yeah. I mean, what would you do? For our channel, let's say tomorrow we decided we don't want to talk about creators anymore. We actually want to have a channel about cars. I don't think it's, I don't think you'd do it on the same channel. I just, I just don't think it's worth it. Like, and I know that sounds insane. I, I've seen it work in some ways. Like Jake Paul's new sports show, he put on a channel that him and Logan built called Jake and Logan, which was just kind of weird and like didn't, didn't pan out years ago and it has 2.3 million subscribers. And why I think that has kind of worked, like his last episode did 800,000 views. That's pretty good for six episodes into a new sports show. I mean, obviously he's a massive guy. Like people, people are, want to see what he's up to. And he's large. He is large. He's just a large Both human. of them are really large. Yeah. They're getting bigger. Standing next to Logan Paul. And, and yeah. we're also small. True. We and have maybe getting smaller. Maybe that's possible because, Okay. We have a studio tour with Rhett and Link, and I'm pretty sure it's out today. So go watch it, like, comment, engage with it, please. Make us feel good. Um, Just made me realize we haven't made a thumbnail yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, make that thummy. Uh, But us standing next to Rhett and Link is comical. It's uh, comical. Yeah, yeah. It looks insane. Yeah. I mean, the height of Link's hair alone, I think, is about the size of my head. Yeah, yeah, true. So, But there's photos where it looks like Jack and the Beanstalk or something. Yeah, like is that, the, is that the story about the giant ret multiple times over? Sure. Okay, so what I was saying back is to that, yeah. John Hill and his YouTube <laughs> yeah, yeah. dilemma. So I think it's possible it can work, but it has to be topic adjacent, which is why when you say like cars, that sounds kind of like hard to me to 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 make that shift. Even right now, when we think about the different formats we have on our channel, it's overwhelming. Even though they all have to do with creators. Like creator merch feels like a different thing than when you and I talk about a topic feels like a different thing from interviews, feels like a different thing from studio tours and having those all live in the same channel. It, 
it's actually limits the bingeability of our channel because you can't go from one episode to the next to the next because it might be a totally different format. But at least it's all about creators. Yes. That would be like, you know, on John's channel, sometimes he'll review a skate park. Sometimes he'll try and do a trick. Sure. Right. The, the backbone is always skateboarding. skateboarding. So I think if he wants to make a channel about Disney and anime and animation, I would recommend doing it on a new channel. And I wouldn't be that concerned about it if I was him, because think about how much you've learned about the platform and growing a community yeah. on your channel about skateboarding. You're not actually starting from scratch. Sure. You're starting from zero subscribers, but you have so much of an understanding yeah. about thumbnails and retention totally. and community building and making videos and your process. I mean, just look across the landscape right now. Like Marquez launched a channel for cars called autofocus. He also has waveform. He also has the studio. He also has waveform clips. Look at Cody co in the past three weeks, he's launched Cody trains, which is a channel about him running. Mm-hmm. He did not put that on Cody co. He put one video on Cody co clearly enjoyed telling stories about running and then put that on Cody trains. Then uh, he also launched a new podcast with Kelsey called insanely chill or his first episode is with Kelsey, but it's a podcast called insanely chill. That's a brand new channel that Cody started. And you look at that, like he is building out a network of channels. And I think about, you know, for us, that's not a brand new channel. Insanely chill. Sorry. Yeah. It was a podcast, but he, he's, it's on a separate channel. Yeah. yeah. It's a separate channel. He relaunched it. Cause I think there was years between uploads, right? When he came back. Four years. Four years. Yeah. yeah. So um, when I think about, you know, I'm just going to drop this right here. I vlogged VidSummit. That's why we had a camera, by the way. Thank God for the million subscriber thing. Yeah. Because I was, I was just like, I'm in the mood to vlog. I'm, I'm in that world where I want to say more. I want to show what this life looks like. And I had such a good time. Like all I thought this morning, I wrote down a bunch of vlog ideas and I'm like so excited to vlog. But that's not going to happen on the Colin and Samir channel. I'm going to play with it on the Samir and Colin channel. And then there might be a world where it's like, that if I like it and it's a regular thing and we're having fun doing it, it becomes like a vlog channel, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think this world of building out networks of channels is happening because a channel is a show. And I think everyone should think about the bingeability of that channel. I've been saying it, man. Cars of Colin and Samir. Sure. Three episodes, the company car, your car, my car. And then that's the end of the channel. That's it. Then we shut it down. Then we shut it down. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So John, best of luck. I think... I can't wait to see what you make next. And I empathize with this feeling, but I think you should do it on a different channel. All right. This one is from Sir Yacht. Your interview process. I'm interviewing guests for a big YouTube docu-series I'm starting. And my question to Colin and Samir is what is your interview process like? I know you guys do a lot of prep work to knowing your guests before they come on, but you also have such natural conversations with them. And I'm sure you also ask questions that are improvised in the moment. Do you leave room in your scripts for spur of the moment questions? And what is your advice on how to best interview a guest? This is something that we're still learning. And I want to say that I think we've succeeded at times and we've also failed other times. Uh, And it's not the guest's fault necessarily. I think back to our interview with Jeff Wittick. We had such a strict idea of what story we wanted him to tell and the Mm -hmm. order that we wanted him to tell it that, you know, if you're able to listen to that interview in full, we are really trying to guide him in a place, even if what he's saying is going to a place where he's more interested, things that he's more excited to talk about. And I look back to that interview and think we should have gone to where he was excited if it was 
deemed still interesting to the creator world. Yeah. And I think there were opportunities missed there, but we also now I think have gotten to a place where we try and do a lot of prep, understand our guests, understand the angle that we want to go, but we're not super strict with the order, right? Yeah. We're a lot more fluid and want to encourage a comfortable conversation because it's more enjoyable to watch. Another thing I would highly recommend is a pre-call. Uh, it's something that, that we're starting to do now where we'll actually get on the phone with the guest beforehand and, and talk about what they're excited about, what they're not excited about, kind of get get just like a rhythm and an energy with them. That's changed our interviews completely. And we did that for the first time with Cody, Cody. and Noel. Yeah. yeah, Cody Co and Noel Miller. And like, you can kind of get to feel the buckets that you want to talk about and stuff that they don't want to talk about, right? Like stuff that they're like, ah, that's not interesting to me. Or I've talked about that before a time. Yeah. yeah. And so that skips a lot of context and, and that helps us understand the direction of the interview. But you can't be fully absent. You can't sit there and listen to their answer and then just ask them the next question you planned because they're, they're handing you, you know, a gift. They're giving you information and, and something that, you know, you want to work with and you want to you go in that, that flow of that conversation. That's really hard. To be that present in interviews, I found to be extremely hard, but I think it's also because Colin and I are editors. And as editors, you're sitting, listening, and you're editing the story in your head while they're talking. So there's like too much happening in your head. I think, um, you know, my first experience with improv and, you know, as I come back into taking improv classes, this is the thing that I think both Colin and I need to work on is being wildly present and letting go of your expectation of where the conversation is going. Because... That's, that's the key to having really natural conversations, but at the same time, being incredibly prepped and deeply understanding why it's valuable for us to sit down with them and why it's valuable for all of you to invest two hours listening to this person. As long as we understand those things, then, you know, if we can be present, we'll find our, our way. But yeah, it's not easy. It's, it's, a, it's a skill that I think will continue to learn. I, we, we went to Hassan Minaj's premiere of The King's Jester, and I keep bringing this up because it's our next episode, and I would highly recommend everyone go watch King's Jester so you have context on this episode uh, when we put it out. But Dax Shepard, uh, who's a great interviewer, he has a podcast called Armchair Expert. He also was an actor prior, but he moderated the conversation with, with Hassan, and it was so fun and kind of like silly and very present and very just like, you know, enjoyable to listen to. And I thought like Dax is in his forties and now he's really, you know, diving into this world of interviewing. The thing that I'm excited about is if we keep interviewing people for the next 10 years, like where we're going to be in our forties as interviewers is, is going to be really exciting. And the potential of us really knowing how to tell a story and be present and, um, you know, turn conversation into valuable content I think that's a skill that I'd like to develop over the next decade. Yeah, and what we were talking about the other day, we have this added element that is difficult to deal with, which is either of us can also take the conversation in a different place because two people mm -hmm. are interviewing one guest. So, you know, if you're interviewing someone and they go a direction you weren't expecting, you know, that's one element where you need to stay present, stay engaged and go where they go. But now with Samir and I, there's also the opportunity that I will say something and it's not what Samir had in mind for the next question. And now yeah. he has to adjust. And so that's and I, something we're dealing with too. We have, we're almost like mind readers. Yeah. And it's, it's something that, you know, when I took my first improv class that I didn't really recognize how much I struggle with control. Like I stood up to do a scene and I had this like 
they laid out the idea for the, the, the premise of the scene. And I was like, oh, I know exactly where this should go. It'd be so funny if it landed over here. It'd just be a good story if we set it up like this and this. And I say my first line to set that up. And then this other guy takes it in a completely different direction. I think he was like, we were grounded at like a coffee shop and he was like, he walked in as an alien. And I was like, no, why would you do that? <laughs> That's not the story. That's not funny at all. I'm laughing. I kind of like it. And, but then you have to just be like, oh, now he's an alien and I need to just live in the reality that an alien just walked in here yeah. and, and actually settle into this and remove any expectation I had of where the story was going to end up. Yeah. I think that's, that's why improv as a YouTube creator, especially someone who's going to interview people is so important because it just allows you to let go of control and just lock in and listen to what the other person is saying. All right. Here's one more question from Ryan K finance on Reddit titled how to engage with my community. Hi, Colin Samir Reddit. My recent channel growth has led me to no longer think of myself as a small YouTuber, but even with my newfound popularity, I struggle to find the community engagement I see with channels of a similar size. My question is, what is the best way to build a strong community of active viewers? I respond to most constructive comments and make the occasional post on the community tab, but are there other things I should be doing? I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, one, this is a good question um, and kind of goes into... Uh, what we were talking about, about building depth and not just width. But I think um, the thing that I've been trying to think about in terms of community building is how do we invite you into our conversations? Like when we're making a YouTube video and we're doing an interview and let's say it's me, Colin and Hassan Minaj, we have to consider that you're the fourth person at the table and that you have a voice and you want to participate in it. And we have to acknowledge that. And that's really hard to do. I think like with this audio show, what we've been able to do by bringing all of you in through the subreddit, like that acknowledges the audience and that's the two-way conversation we want to have. It's a lot harder in a YouTube video, but I think that's the thought you have to have when you're writing your videos or editing them. You have to think, did I leave space for someone to engage in this conversation? Did I invite them to engage in this conversation? Is there a way that they're having impact on this conversation or in this um, piece of content, I would actually write those questions down and try and see if you can answer them. Um, something I've been thinking about a lot is like, have we invited the viewer into this conversation and have we told them how to engage with it? I also think format matters. I just searched the name on YouTube and I'm pretty sure I found the channel and it looks like the majority of the posts have been YouTube shorts and the last long form video was over four months ago. Mm. And I think if you want to build a community, you have to give them the opportunity to sit with you for longer periods of time, yeah. whether that's a longer form video or live streaming. I just think that's how true relationships are built and true community is built. They're not necessarily built as much uh, in short bits of 60 seconds at a time. So I think it could also be a format problem. I totally agree with that. I think um, Reed mentioned it on our show, but I would... Would like to highly kind of recommend everyone who's making shorts think about this, that there's a, there's a potential world where next year shorts are just not interesting to YouTube. There's a potential world where shorts mean something totally different. Again, like the way shorts engage are in a feed. I think they're fantastic tools to build audience and, and build the top of your funnel. But if you want to engage with a community, I think you have to make long form video or do live streams or do something that's a two way street Shorts are, are being consumed in the shorts feed, not necessarily on your channel. And that's a really important thing. It, it, think about it as like something that goes out into the world and finds people who are interested in your channel, but then you have to make long form video to engage that community. 
Samir, I got a major gripe. Hit me. What's the deal with to-go coffee cups not being able to hold coffee well? What do you mean? I've been drinking this coffee yeah. throughout this entire episode. I've been putting it down on the table in yeah. different places. And there's coffee table. stains all over the table because there's a little bit of coffee on the exterior um, and on the bottom of um, the coffee. Two days ago, I got a coffee from a different place and it's dripping all over the place. So first of all- Why can't we, I mean- why is it my, so hard to like? My come gripe up with, with a you cup is you clearly don't care about the environment because you don't have a reusable coffee mug. Okay, right in front of me, you have a to-go coffee cup. No, let the record show this is a reusable cup. No, let the record show. Let the record show that is not reusable. <laughs> let the record show that Dwight K. Schrute is now completely nude and what? is holding a plastic knife to Stanley's neck. Let the record show that Jim Halpert is a liar. Okay, but I have a reusable okay, cup that so, I have used. Wow. Yeah, that I have used. Throwing stones at a so, glass house, they just, say, right? Let, Isn't that what Let me just say? tell you, man. Get a reusable mug. Okay, don't. Fill that up. Get off your high horse, man. You're sitting here with to-go cups, too. Y- you, you are Mr. Plastic. You've redirected this, man. The problem is not with me. The problem is with the way that they made the cups. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Creator Support. If you guys have questions, put them in the Colin and Samir subreddit, r slash Colin and Samir. And it is my commitment to you that I will call it a subreddit now and not a Reddit. I'm still going to call it the Reddit. All right. See you next week. (laughs) 